Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. The reading is uh, from John chapter 21. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, What about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the brothers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. 
If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. How do you follow a man you've never even met and can't even see? That was one of the things that always bugged me about the gospel when I heard it explained to me as a teenager. How am I supposed to follow Jesus as king? He's not here. At the start of John's gospel, Jesus' first call to the disciples to follow him, well, it's a, a literal following. They're supposed to physically follow him to come and see who he is. But now he's on the verge of leaving at the end of the gospel. But did you see he still calls the disciples to follow? End of verse 19. To Peter, he says, follow me. End of verse 22. You must follow me. They must follow. But how? Now that can't be physical anymore because he's leaving. Well, we could answer this question with the fishing angle. In other words, mission and evangelism. The fishing trip here is probably meant to remind us of the start of the other Gospels, where Jesus called his first followers and and said, come and be fishers of men. Uh, That too was by the Sea of Galilee, just like this event. And of course, the other Gospels often end with the Great Commission, that sending out into the Uh, the great work of mission to fish for people. And so we might expect John to finish with a similar thing too. Now, I think John does give a nod towards that here. Evangelism, of course, is an essential part of following Jesus today in his absence. But did you notice? It's never made explicit in this chapter. I wonder if John has a different focus with his final call to follow. Less what we do for Jesus and more how we depend on him. Less on us fishing for Jesus and more on Jesus feeding us. I mean, think about it. Look at this fishing trip. It's such a disaster until Jesus turns up, isn't it? Verse 3, they they go out, they get into the boat, and that night they catch nothing. It's only when Jesus arrives that the catch comes in. And besides, fishing is just for starters here, isn't it? Fishing quickly gives way to Jesus feeding, feeding his disciples. Verse 12, come and have breakfast. But you know, that still leaves the teenage me confused, doesn't it? Because how do we depend on a man? How do we get fed by a man who's not here? Well, I want to suggest this morning that the way we're to depend upon Jesus, the way we're to be fed by him, is not through a physical meal of bread and fish, but through this book. This is the food he serves up to us. Did you see, framing the whole passage today is this idea that we actually saw last week, that we see Jesus through what the disciples saw. So look at verse 1 at the very beginning. Jesus appeared again to his disciples. Or look in the middle of the passage, verse 14. Verse 14, this was now the third time Jesus appeared 
to his disciples. And then the very end of the passage, verse 24 and 25. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. He appeared to the disciples. He appeared to the disciples. This disciple wrote it down for us. Do you see? Feed on the disciples' accounts of Jesus to follow him today. That's the big point I think John is making here. Feed on the disciples' accounts of Jesus to follow him today. Now, if I were sat at home or one of the few people in this hall listening to this talk, at this point I'd be thinking, oh no, not another talk about how I have to read my Bible. But do you know what I find slightly disturbing about that attitude that I see in myself, it's not just you, what I find disturbing about it is that when it comes to physical food, that's never how I think. I don't get tired of, of doing it. I don't get tired of eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I don't get tired of thinking about it or talking about it or watching TV programs about it. Did you see the MasterChef final this week? I watched hundreds of programs about eating. Why do I get bored of talking about feeding on this food? This book is the meal served up for us in a way by Jesus himself. Did you see the way feeding runs right through the chapter? So again, verse 9, we see uh, the barbecue that Jesus has arranged for the disciples. Verse 12 again, come have breakfast. And then in the second half of the passage, Jesus charges Peter to feed us, the flock. Verse 15, end of verse 15, feed my lambs. Why do we get bored of this meal? And you know, the meal itself is Christ. Does that sound a bit odd? Feeding on Christ? It's actually a massive idea in John's gospel. The bulk of Jesus' teaching on this idea actually happens in a chapter that's got loads of similarities to this one. Chapter 6. You might not know it. It happens at the Sea of Galilee, the only other time we're at the Sea of Galilee in John's gospel apart from this chapter. There's a meal there in chapter 6, just like this meal of bread and fish, only it's 5,000 people being miraculously fed there. And after that miracle, do you know what Jesus says? Well, he gives some very odd dietary advice. He says this, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats me will live forever. Whoever eats me will never hunger or thirst. Feed on Christ? Yes. To live forever. Feed on Christ? Yes. To find your deepest hungers satisfied. Do you know, even though he isn't here, you can feed on him and experience him personally today through reading and believing this eyewitness testimony. That is how to feed on him. And it's essential to following him. Do you, um, do you know those experience days that you can buy as gifts uh, for people? A- Amy and I, my wife, um, we gifted her parents a hot air balloon experience a day. 
to thank them for something they'd done for us. I'm not sure how thanked they felt dangling at 2,000 feet in the air, but um, you can buy those kind of things, can't you? And uh, the disciples' experience of Christ this day, wouldn't that be an amazing experience day to have? Especially if you're into fishing. A miraculous catch of fish, 153 whoppers, followed by a barbecue on the beach, cooked for you by the maker of the world. But the whole point of John's gospel is that we can experience Jesus any day we want. We just have to open this up and read it with faith. I suspect for many of us, reading John's gospel sounds like the experience day equivalent of a rail replacement bus service. It might get you where you need to go, but it's hardly an inspiring journey. But just think for a moment about the rich food, the rich revelation of Jesus on offer in just this one chapter, just the first half of the chapter. The fish bite when Jesus says bite, because he is the word made flesh, the maker of the world, come as a man in charge of his creation. It's breathtaking. Or the way he serves his disciples breakfast. These no good disciples who betrayed him, he comes back from the grave to say, come and have breakfast. Astounding love. And this is his third appearance after the resurrection. This is the one who has conquered death. And who waits for us now, not on the far side of a lake, but on the far side of the grave. Where he will say to us, not come and have breakfast, but come and feast with me forever. In my father's house, your father's house now. Isn't this amazing food? Get feeding. I wonder, do you ever just read a gospel through from start to finish? You know, if you wanted, you could get David Suchet to read a gospel through for you from start to finish. Uh, David Suchet, or Poirot, as he's known to many of us, has done a reading of John's gospel, a dramatic reading of it on YouTube. Check it out. It's brilliant. Feed on it. Or maybe read John morsel by morsel turning over each episode in your mouth, savoring the flavor of the Lord, tasting and seeing that he is good. Feed on the disciples' accounts of Jesus. That's how to experience him and follow him today. But I wonder if yet again that raises a question. Only the question now is not, how do we connect to Jesus today? I think we see that, don't we now? But, but can we really trust the apostles, these disciples, to be the ones who connect us to Jesus today? Can we trust them to feed us with the truth? I think John is focusing on that in verses 15 to 25, the second half of the passage. And you know, the first elephant in the room is, well, back from chapter 18, isn't it? Peter's three denials. Can we trust a liar to feed us with the truth of Christ? Christ's conversation with Peter here, it's so poignant, isn't it? 
the way it matches Peter's threefold denial of Jesus from chapter 18 where he lied about being his follower. Three times now, Christ asks, verse 15, 16, 17, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Do you love me? Do you love me? And I guess it's right as the leading apostle that Peter should love Jesus more, isn't it? He certainly claimed to before he denied Christ, and he still claims to now. Did you see? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. And you might expect Jesus to question that answer. And maybe there is a hint of a question when he says again, Simon, do you love me? But actually, each time that Peter answers yes, what does Jesus say ultimately? Well, he recommissions Peter. End of 15, feed my lambs. End of 16, take care of my sheep. End of 17, feed my sheep. Jesus himself sends Peter out to take care of us by feeding us with the truth of Jesus. And actually, if Jesus has sent him to do that, shouldn't that be enough to reassure us that, well, we can trust Peter to feed us? But actually, even more than that, Isn't Peter exactly the right person to be feeding failures like us? Because he knows firsthand this core gospel truth that we love Christ only because Christ has loved us first. When it comes to Peter, you could say the messenger is the message. Now, um, I've uh, put on 10 kilos over COVID. And if you're anything like me, you might be looking for a good diet plan. Well, have you ever come across um, Kim Beach? She's an Australian lady and um, she recommends this regime of healthy eating and exercise. It's all very sensible. And crucially, she herself eats and exercises according to the plan that she dishes up for us. The messenger is the message. And so when people see her glowing health, it gives them confidence to feed on her menus. Well, feeding on Christ's love changed Peter. After his restoration, this previous disaster of a disciple did follow his Lord to death. Did you see that? Verses 18 and 19. Verse 18, very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands. Stretch out your hands. It's a way of describing the crucifixion that Peter would experience, just like his Lord. You see, ultimately, Peter was transformed by the Christ that he feeds to us, transformed from a disaster of a disciple to be just like the good shepherd himself. Did you see that? He would give his life for the flock, just like Jesus. Of course, in a different way. He didn't die for our sins, but he died to lay a foundation of truth for us that we might connect to Jesus today through that teaching. So don't doubt Peter. Don't doubt his message. Feed on it with confidence. 
In Acts, we find that Peter's sermons founded the church. Don't doubt this church that is founded on his teaching. His two surviving letters still guide the church today, feed on them. Our kids are learning a, a memory verse from Peter um, in A&E. D- d- don't doubt him. Feed your kids with that truth, with confidence. From tradition, we know that Mark's gospel is based on Peter's teaching. Dig into it. Get nourished by it. Get feeding. Well, now for our final disciple. And in a way, he's the most pertinent disciple to be discussing this morning, isn't he? Verse 24. The disciple who testifies to these things. Should John, the writer of this gospel, really be on the menu to Maybe you've never asked that question. But actually, if you accept that Peter's trustworthy, that does create a problem. You see, John is just so different to the other Gospels. So different. Matt, um, our curate, pointed me to a recent article in The Spectator this um, past week. And in it, John's Gospel is described as an evolved patchwork of fabrications, or in plain English, a pack of lies. And the main argument is that if John is so different to all the other Gospels, surely he's just writing a work of fiction. Is that what's going on? Well, John claims that he is serving up the truth. Yes, giving us a different perspective that rounds out our diet, but not a different Jesus. Not a competing vision of Jesus to Peter's. Did you notice how John is introduced at the end of verse 20? uh, As Jesus is finishing up his conversation with Peter, Peter turns to see John following and I guess eavesdropping and immediately wants to know what lies in store for John. End of verse 21. Lord, what about him? Why is Peter asking? Why does he care? Well, the clue is in Jesus' answer, isn't it? Look at verse 22. Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? You must follow me. Do you see? Jesus is saying, You're all my disciples. Stop comparing yourselves with one another. Don't compete. Each of you personally needs to focus on how you will personally follow me. Do you see then? John himself is raising this issue that Peter and John are different. They do look in competition at times, but both are true disciples of the Lord Jesus. Peter, the alpha activist. 21 verse 3, did you notice? I'm going out to fish, says Peter, and everyone just follows him. We'll go with you, they say. Natural leader. John's been the one all through these chapters who hangs back a bit more. You might remember at the tomb a few weeks ago where John gets there first after a race with Peter to the tomb competing again. John wins the race, but he stands outside the tomb looking in, observing, the reflective observer. Peter gets there and barges straight past him into the tomb. Go back and check it out. 
And you see that kind of dynamic here again today. 21 verse 7. Do you see who knows that it is the Lord standing on the shore? It's John. And as soon as John says, it is the Lord, verse 7, what happens? Simon Peter, the activist, stripped, who's been stripped off for work, puts his garment back on, jumps into the sea and starts swimming to the shore. This difference between them is there all the way through chapter 18 to chapter 21, if you go back and look. John, the man of insight. Peter, the activist. Different personalities. And that perhaps goes a long way to explaining their different perspectives on Jesus. But you know, for all their differences, John is every bit as much Jesus' disciple as Peter and the others. In fact, if anything, John has an impeccable record of truthfulness compared to the others. Did you notice that as we've been through these chapters, this whole series? It's not a bad time to look back over the series, is it? But maybe you haven't noticed this particular strand of what John's been teaching. We often say, don't we, that the, the, the disciples all abandoned, all of them abandoned Jesus at his trial and crucifixion, but it's not true. At the trial in chapter 18, the servant girl asks Peter, are you his disciple too, or as well? What does she mean, as well? Well, the thing is, she asks this after talking to John, who there just calls himself very coyly the other disciple. Are you his disciple too, she says to Peter, after talking to John? In other words, John has been open about the fact that he is Jesus' disciple. And then at the cross in chapter 19, we saw that one of the disciples had stayed with Jesus all the way to the bitter end. There in 19 verse 26, he's called, again, coyly, the disciple Jesus loved. And then in 20 verse 2, on the day of resurrection on Easter Sunday, the other disciple and the disciple Jesus loved turn out to be the same person. Do you see, all the way through these chapters, John and Peter have been side by side, and John has been saying, I, I, actually, I was there the whole time. I witnessed it all. I never lied. I never betrayed or abandoned. You see, you may not have realized it, but we've been watching this the whole way through, and it comes to a climax now at the end of the chapter as we see Peter and John explicitly put side by side and the question raised, can you trust John when he's so different to Peter? Well, yes, you can. Because actually, unlike Peter, John has consistently stuck with Jesus and witnessed it all and told the truth from beginning to end. Well might he claim, end of verse 24, my testimony is true. But you know, ultimately, although there's many different things about John and Peter that explain the differences in their gospels, actually, the differences can be summed up not by them, but explained by Jesus himself and who he is. Did you see that verse 25? Our final verse. Jesus did many other things as well. 
if every one of them were written down. I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Do you see? Jesus himself is an endlessly rich feast for the believer. He said and did so much that every gospel writer had to make tough editorial decisions. John just happens to have included stuff that the others left out. And he did that so that our knowledge of Jesus could be all the richer. Now I hope that you do find the Jesus of the Bible an endlessly rich feast for your souls. But isn't it true that sometimes if we're honest, we find feeding on him a little bit dull, a little samey. And I know that when that happens to me, the fault must be with my taste buds, not with this food. But even when it happens, I am determined, and I hope you will be with me, to keep feeding. Because for all who will keep feeding on Christ through faith, through the apostles' words, eventually the knowledge that we have of him through these books will give way to seeing him face to face. May God strengthen us through the apostles' word until that day when we see him in full technicolor glory. Amen.